welcome to the Forbes India Cover Story podcast series in association with theindicast.com. My name is Abhishek. India has set itself a goal to reach net zero emissions by 2070 with interim checkpoints. Getting there will be down to both uh, policy measures and heavy investments by the corporate sector. Among the outfits that want to play a central role in this transformation is GE. Harichandan Arakali, the cover story author, investigates some of the grand plans of the behemoth in this regard. Hi, Hari. Thanks for joining in. Hi, hi, morning, Abhishek. Nice to be here. Thank you, Hari. Renewable power uh, from India's context, if you could just paint a picture about how important is it? Uh, what happens if we don't switch to it in the next few years, slowly and steadily? Yeah, I mean, it's as important as it is to any other country, I would say. I mean, that said, one of the things that I learned while reporting for this story is that a lot of it is about our uh, heavy dependence on coal-based uh, power generation, which as you know, now people call it a, a dirty technology, if you will, because of all the emissions and other polluting factors involved. So yeah, so that is, I guess, one of the biggest reasons from the saving the planet point of view, I guess. Right. And uh, more than two thirds of India's electricity comes from some 135 coal burning thermal stations. So that's a lot of uh, coal that gets burned. And somewhere in the story, you also talk about how 70% of water consumption is by coal-based thermal power plants. It's, it's a hungry technology as well as it being dirty then. Yeah. I mean, this is an interesting uh, factoid that I learned in an earlier conversation with uh, one of the uh, customers of GE. Continuum Energy. I had a chance to speak with uh, Continuum's CEO and also in the same conversation, uh, one of their wind turbine engineering leads was there as well. So of all the industrial use of uh, water in this country, I mean, 70% is used by the uh, coal-based thermal plants. And he was talking about this in the context of how uh, wind energy doesn't use any water at all. And, and in this story, you talk about how GE is uh, uh, taking the charge or rather making sure that they have uh, renewable as part of their goals. Uh, you had a chance to speak with uh, Mr. Mahesh Palashikhar, president of GE South Asia. So could you explain what what is GE's role in the mix? You talk a little bit about hardware, software. What does GE want to do in this uh, enormous uh, domain? From the point of view of uh, technology and manufacturing, in, in India, for example, in the power sector, they're almost invisible as well as ubiquitous. One of the data points that I came across is like something like 50% of all the power that reaches us, uh, that touches people in India, goes through uh, gear that you know, GE manufactures. And, you know, and they have multiple factories uh, in this country, I think some 15 odd factories, and they have uh, very large R&D center in Bangalore, as you know, which is a, a global R&D center for them. So they're a huge player, basically. Uh, that's sort of the bottom line. And they're also a huge player in terms of uh, all the hardware uh, you know, that we will need when it comes to a cleaner planet. And I think in general, if you've looked at any of the experts who talk about climate tech uh, or you know, climate change related uh, efforts that will be required, it will be very technology driven. It will also be very hardware driven because these have to be physical solutions, right? Whether it is preventing carbon from going into the atmosphere or taking carbon out of the atmosphere or in any other sector making our every activity from the individual uh, all the way to the biggest companies and the largest uh, nations and governments making our activities carbon neutral means that you know it's not just software. It will be a combination of uh, hardware and software. 
Right. So the CTO, Vera Silva, that you briefly referred to, she has a pretty big task on her hands then. How was the experience of uh, exchange, exchanging thoughts with her? How does she look at the whole thing? We did get a chance to ask her some important questions. The main one being, what is the big difference with what they're calling a smart grid? Why do we need to uh, adopt these smart grids? Uh, what, what are the benefits? She's talking about how the grids that are there today, uh, anywhere in the world, and including in India, of course, is a century-old tech. It was designed for a sort of a, a centralized generation of power, one direction in which the power will go from where it is produced to where it is consumed. Whereas the modern scenario is, you know, for example, solar generation uh, and uh, you have technologies to store energy. And increasingly, uh, she talks about how I guess you'll have some sort of a decentralized generation of power, both from power companies, which are businesses, which continue to be in the business of producing and selling power, but also individual consumers producing enough power through solar and other means who may even have excess and who will have the chance to put it back into the grid. So the thing is, the modern grid will have to be able to handle this two-way movement of power. That is one point that she makes. The other point is that uh, increasingly modern power generation will come from renewable energy uh, sources, right? Whether it's wind or solar or other forms, uh, hydro and so on. So then these grids will also have to be kind of you know ready to handle these new uh, ways of uh, generating power. And so they're looking at what are the differences uh, and what is the best way in which you can take uh, power from uh, the renewable sources. The smart grid aspect of it is to you know to use sensors and uh, software and and of course connect it to the cloud in some way and be able to look at multiple things in terms of how the grid is performing, how can it be made more efficient. Yeah, so these these are some of the interesting things that are happening. Let, let's come to some of the challenges of. of uh pulling something of this sort. Uh, you write a little bit about, let's say, wind speed, for example, as being a very basic uh, prerequisite for harnessing wind to generate electricity. So apparently uh, in India, for example, wind speeds in general are you know lower than, for example, in certain parts of Europe. So if you're then, you know, putting a wind turbine, then obviously, you know, it has an implication on you know how how well that wind turbine will work uh, and therefore uh, so they have to they have been sort of incrementally figuring out uh, i mean i guess the wind energy uh, industry has been figuring out how to make their turbines uh, more efficient and and i i don't immediately remember the numbers but uh, they have also talked about uh, the the size of the wind turbines and the and the type of wind turbines and you know there are things like horizontal axis turbines and vertical axis turbines and I guess the basically the axis around which the uh, blades will turn or the turbine will turn and so on. So yeah, so they have been looking at uh, how to make uh, wind turbines more efficient even in conditions of lower wind speeds. There's a long way to go. As of now, uh, they work best if there is a certain uh, sort of optimal level of speed. If wind is not sort of very reliable, right? I mean, it, when a renewable source is not available, then how do you compensate for that with uh, another source uh, so that you do get around the clock uh, power every company that's involved is looking at you know enhancing their technologies to figure out how to make turbines work at lower speeds and still provide uh, commercially viable levels of power 
that's i guess that's the sort of important goal what are some of the uh, immediate goals that ge has in mind to contribute in this sector overarching theme is that uh, on multiple fronts they want to step up their efforts when it comes to renewable uh, energy one is they have uh, you know kind of uh, really uh, bet on india as a manufacturing hub as well in addition to uh, a large r&d center india is definitely a, a big manufacturing hub for them so both you know for local use and i would imagine going forward it will be an increasingly uh, international uh, location as well as a vendor of these technologies india is also uh, india will be an increasingly important market for them uh, in this in this region certainly yeah so that is an area where you know they are i guess on an ongoing basis building partnerships with with other uh, adjacent technology providers and solutions providers i mean that is i guess the normal course of operations for any large business so that i i would imagine that is continuing and given that climate uh, tech is going to be uh, increasingly uh, important if not central to our uh, economic policies in the coming years then uh, i would say that they would like to be a very uh, important player in 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 the whole scenario lovely thank you very much hari for your time on this podcast excellent thanks so much abhishek thank you and all your listeners you can get uh, uh, this podcast on forbesindia.com on uh, spotify stitcher apple google podcast or any other app that you use to download such content and to have someone call you for a forbes india subscription message forbes to 51818